Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Hey guys, welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. If you have not subscribed to the podcast already, make sure that you hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Oh My Allergies. Also, I recently started an allergy page for myself, so definitely give that page a follow. It is at Oh My Valencia. Also, make sure that you take the time to write us a review and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, platforms like that. Hopefully your rating and review is a five stars. Keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know. I am very excited about today's episode because we have a guest on the podcast. It's the first guest of season four. So I'm very pumped, very excited for you all to hear our interview. So on today's episode, we're gonna be talking with Dr. Munin Shah. He is an ENT doctor and also an allergist. It's based in Colorado. So I'm very excited for you all to hear our conversation because we honestly talked about so many good things and topics in this episode. This is a really great episode, especially if you have environmental allergies like myself. We talk about his journey with allergies. We talk about why he wanted to be an ENT and an allergist. We talk about environmental allergies. We talk about how do you know when you have them. We talk about different allergy treatments when it comes to environmental allergies, his business, and honestly, just so much more. Really enjoyed this episode, especially with this being the first doctor on the podcast. So I'm very excited for you all to hear our conversation. But before we get into today's episode and in today's interview, you guys know I got to talk about what's been going on. So what's been going on with me? Well, yesterday um, was Sunday for me and today is Monday, the day that I'm recording this intro. Yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday and so I watched the Super Bowl with my family. We were rooting for the Rams, so we were very pleased with how the game ended up turning out. If you did not watch the Super Bowl or you're not just from the U.S., the Super Bowl is pretty much the Olympics for American football. It's very hyped up here in the U.S. if you're not from the U.S. And so the two teams that made it to the Super Bowl this year were the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Watched it on television. Like I said, go Rams. Very happy that they won. Usually is not my team when it is during like the regular season or anything like that. I rep Georgia teams all day, every day. Um, but when it comes down to, okay, it's Cincinnati versus LA, I'm going to root for LA because I used to live in Los Angeles. So with that being said, very happy. Also, let's talk about that Super Bowl halftime performance. Really enjoyed it. I was so into it. Really liked it. I thought it was really well done. It was nice. It was classy. And it was just a nice touch to the Super Bowl, quite honestly. But yeah, that was probably the highlight of Super Bowl because I'm not really a huge fan of American football. 
it's just one of those sports that it doesn't really pique my interest unless it's the time for like games that like truly matter if that makes sense so like games like the Super Bowl or like championship games those are the games that I usually get hype with but just like regular season games I'm usually like not really into them that much in comparison to like other sports like my sports are like soccer and I also like softball and baseball but only for like college softball and college baseball I find those to be the most interesting you know just sports like that but I will say the Super Bowl was pretty entertaining we made personal pan pizzas because that's literally been what we have been doing lately and so made those with some dairy-free cheese and some tomato sauce and it was just so delicious and I had just such a fun time like a major thing that's happened to me recently was if you all follow the oh my allergies podcast instagram which is at oh my allergies so make sure you follow us there for updates and cool different polls and content and things like that but on the podcast instagram posted on stories that I went to the allergist and talked a little bit about my other previous allergist horror story a little bit kind of hinted at it if you all want me to talk about my experience specifically with finding a doctor and kind of like what kind of all went into that and my vetting process and kind of like what I did in order to find a better fit for me I'll definitely do an episode about that something that I have been thinking about but I'll briefly go into my allergist visit uh, with the new allergist Oh my goodness, like it was night and day compared to the previous allergist experience that I had, but I did allergy testing because I've not been allergy tested in a very, very long time. And my new allergist was suspecting that there was a lot more other things that I was allergic to than I had previously had thought. And guys, he was not wrong. He was not wrong, like literally like not at all. And I'm at this point where I'm like, well, dang, like what can I actually eat and found out that there are foods that I have been eating that I'm allergic to and didn't even realize it. And I'm like, wow, that's so crazy. And I think that's just because your body gets used to eating something to each their own, of course, and by a case by case basis. But I think in my case, Like my body just got so used to feeling a certain type of way that I viewed it as being normal and it wasn't. And so now I'm like, wow, wow. So literally the way that I view breakfast has drastically changed. And now I'm on this unique journey of trying to figure out, okay, let's regroup. What else can I eat now? Because I found out there's some foods that I can't have and found out that I have to stay away from peanuts when I didn't even think that I could even be allergic to peanuts. But typically people who are allergic to one nut, you know, it's kind of just a matter of time before you find out that you're allergic to another one. So that's kind of a big thing that happened to me recently. And I was just like, wow, like I feel like I am a new person and I'm having to kind of figure out life again in terms of my allergies. And like my grocery list has drastically changed and I'm like, well, cannot get that anymore. Can't get that. Still reading that book. I have been stuck on it. The progress that I've made on that book that I told you guys that I was reading in like last week's episode, I am instead of five hours away from being done, I'm like three hours from being done. So 
talked about how much progress I've made. I've not really made that much progress. I've been trying to make more progress, but it's just been kind of like a chore for me. Um, what else has been going on with me? Oh, just been dealing with stuff with my dog again. If you've been listening to the pod for a while, you know that my dog has some things that she deals with from time to time because of her allergies. And so now with winter allergies being in full swing, doing the whole thing of getting her like allergy shots and giving her allergy medicine and cleaning her ears because her ears get affected by her allergies and cleaning her eyes and rinsing her eyes because those get affected by her allergies and it's just a big chore and I'm just like how come you just can't be a regular dog that is just fine because I'm like I have to manage my own allergies and now I have to manage another thing's allergies so it's just one of those things that I just deep breathe in and deep breathe out do my little peloton meditations and try to keep myself centered but that's pretty much what's been going on with me so with that being said I am going to get right into my foodie likes. So in terms of my foodie likes and things I've been liking lately, I've been being more so of like a repeat snacker or like a repeat food liker lately. I've not really been liking anything that is new I recently did go to the grocery store and I picked up some new things. So I'm in the process of trying some things, but I'm not at the point where I feel comfortable like sharing like a review of them or anything like that quite yet. But yeah, I don't have any new foodie likes because I am a person that is a creature of habit. So once I really, really like something, it takes a lot for me to try something new unless I'm trying to actively push myself to try a new snack or to try a new food item or something like that but yeah that is my foodie likes update which is pretty much zilch none zero zip nothing (laughs) but uh with that being said let's get right into the allergy news This article comes from Huffington Post and the article is titled, This Woman Was Kicked Off Her Flight for Having a Nut Allergy. So at headlines, I'm just like, what the heck? Gotta read this story. So I definitely wanted to talk to you guys about this on the podcast as well. So a woman, she shared how she was kicked off a plane that was traveling from London to New York when the airline had refused to accommodate her severe nut allergy. And this is from like December of 2021 with American Airlines is what the article had said. And she said in the article how she tried to inform the airline of her life-threatening allergy when she was booking the flight, but there wasn't an option to be able to do that which a I think that for more and more airlines that should be an option just so to prevent a lot of headache when you are actually on the flight it's kind of something that the airline and the people that are on the aircraft are very familiar with your case and your restrictions and dietary restrictions and allergies and things like that before you even get on the plane I feel like that would cause a lot of the headaches and prevent it easier 
It's not even a word, but we're making it a word today. She said when she checked in that her and her boyfriend were told to speak to the staff at the gate. And then that's kind of where the whole headache had unraveled. And so she said she was then taken to speak to the head of the cabin crew, who she says said that they were, quote, contractually obliged to serve hot mixed nuts in first and business class, and that it was, quote, against company policy to make any announcements relating to food allergies, which that just does not sound right. Like, why would that be against the company policy to make announcements about that? Especially for people who have nut allergies that are like airborne, because I've come across people who have peanut allergies that have an airborne allergy. And so the minute they sniff it in the air, like it all goes left very, very fast for them. And so for that to be against their company policy to let people who are on the plane know that there are allergens that are being served, like that doesn't even sound right to me. So that that doesn't even sound right to me. But she said that her allergy is to all tree nuts and it is airborne, meaning that she risks life-threatening anaphylaxis if she inhales an allergen, which is pretty much what I just said. And so removing nuts from economy would not sufficiently protect her health is what the article said. And so she told Huffington Post UK that American Airlines made me feel like my health and safety and that of others with severe food allergies is not important. I have no control over my nut allergy and the danger it presents to my life if I were to go into anaphylaxis. Adults and children with severe nut allergies already face many barriers to travel and experiences. The least airlines could do is take this health condition seriously by making appropriate announcements and replacing nuts with other snacks. And I highly agree with what this woman is saying. It's like, if you know nuts are a common allergen, that is not something that is unknown. That is something that a lot of people know, especially if you are in the business where you are serving food. You know about allergens, you know they exist. Whether or not you wanna acknowledge that they exist is something different, which is where the problematicness comes into play. So I definitely think that airlines need to put more of an emphasis into integrating being able to uh, communicate your uh allergic needs to these airlines so like instances like this do not happen and that it kind of just comes down to this whole idea and concept that I've talked about many many times on the podcast before is that people don't take allergies seriously they think because they don't have them that they're not important when that's not even true there's so many people that are affected by food allergies day in and day out and like she said it affects so many people who travel that have these nut allergies or food allergies in general that if you are kind of like cutting them out of the equation and acting like you don't care about them at the end of the day they're going to lose money because these people are not going to be taking flights anymore because they feel like their allergies are not being respected so one thing i would like to see more and more of our airlines and other companies that have to deal with serving food take food allergies more seriously and if a person communicates that, hey, I have nut allergies, this quote unquote policy that you have is problematic. That's something that the company needs to take to heart and really consider whether or not, you know, they're really counting out a lot of people who are being negatively affected by this said policy, or if they're excluding people and not making it an inclusive environment on the airplane. 
But that is this week's allergy news article. Like always, it'll be linked in our show notes. So definitely check out our show notes if you want to read the article in its entirety. And definitely tell us what you guys think about this article. Do you think this lady was in the wrong or do you think she was in the right? Definitely head over to our Oh My Allergies Instagram page to take some polls to see what you guys think about this week's article. So with that being said, let's get right into my conversation with Dr. Munin Shah. So like I said, today's guest is Dr. Munin Shah. He is a board-certified otolaryngologist who focuses on sinus and allergy treatment. Munin founded Winley Health. It's a Y Combinator-backed startup that provides everyone with access to high-quality allergy care. He serves as the vice president of the Colorado ENT Society. He is the former secretary of the YPS for the American Academy of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, and sits on the Telemedicine and Equilibrium Committees for the Academy. Munnan began his career as a drummer for the band Eight Minutes to Twilight, but later attended medical school where his love for music steered him towards the fields of ear, nose, and throat. As an allergy sufferer, he further became interested in treatment of allergies and sinus disease. Munnan spent a year doing clinical research and earned graduate certification in the field before attending residency training at the prestigious otolaryngology program at the University of Connecticut. He writes about healthcare and ENT at MunninMD.com, hosts a podcast with the American Academy of Otolaryngology, and has written for KevinMD.com, the blog for the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, the Device Talk blog for a medical device and diagnostic industry online, and the Bulletin of the Academy of Otolaryngology. So as a disclaimer, by listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Make sure that you consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's conversation with Dr. Munin Shah. So welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast, Dr. Munin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk with you today and be able to talk all things allergies, especially since you are actually the first doctor I've had on the podcast. So I'm very excited to talk to you. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited to be here. So before we get started, each episode, I talk about my foodie likes. So that's basically when I talk about my favorite items that are related to food. So it could be a snack. It could be a book about food, your favorite meal that you've just had recently, you know, whatever floats your boat. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite foodie likes right now? My all-time favorite is always chocolate chip cookies. I pride myself on being able to say I've had chocolate chip cookies in most continents. I guess I've been to Antarctica, but (laughs) everywhere we go, I try to find some chocolate chip cookies and I've been severely disappointed sometimes abroad, but I love me a good chocolate chip cookie and there's some good ones here even in Denver. And then the other thing I've been really getting into lately is green chili. So we moved to Denver about two years ago and they put that on all their Mexican food and it's incredible. It's I don't know what's special about it, but there's some sort of green chili that grows in Denver or Colorado and they mix it up into salsa and it's incredible. Wow. That sounds so good. Usually when it comes to like, um, cause I like making like taco, like salads without like, you know, like the meat or like using like, um, like meatless meat. And so what I usually like using is tomatillos mm-hmm. and like, and like using like green chilies like that. So when you said that, I was like, yes, 
I'm going to have to definitely try what you're referring to because it sounds so good. And I'm always a fan of chocolate chip cookies. And I do agree that not everyone can make a really good chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I know my favorite in particular are pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. Ooh, that oh sounds, my gosh. That sounds incredible. Uh, mine are honestly, my favorite ones are when they're half baked. So they come out and they're kind of soft and I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of salt on the chocolate chip cookies. I know it's probably not good for my kidneys, but that salty <laughs> sweet is such a good combo. I've never tried putting salt on my chocolate chip cookies before. I've seen it like on like food blogs and things like that, but I have never done that before. I've heard, like you said, people talking about the appeals, like the salt and the sweet, the salty and the sweet aspect of it, but it's definitely an interesting combo. (laughs) Yeah. Now I've just ruined your kidneys, so I'm sorry for that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Once in a while is what I usually tell myself for things like that, especially like for sweets and it's the holiday season. So Really great excuse. Yes. So um, another question that I have for you is if you could describe having allergies in one word, what would it be and why? So I don't even have to think about this. For me, it's frustrating. Mm. Every allergy experience that I've had personally has just been incredibly frustrating and hard to fix. And just, it's not debilitating. It doesn't kill me, but it just makes my life really miserable. No, I definitely understand that, especially, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you were saying frustrating for me lately has been my seasonal allergies. They've just been kicking my butt lately in terms of like just waking up in in sneezing fits and my eyes are itchy and I'm just like, why is this happening to me? Like, why me? Um, So I definitely get like the frustrating aspect of it. And then especially when you go into more so like food allergies, you know, that's just a whole nother topic of frustration, trying to find things to eat and, you know, making sure you're in environments where you feel safe in terms of like food choices and stuff. So I definitely understand frustrating for sure. Yes. So I want to ask you the question of the Oh My Allergies podcast, which is, you know, what's your Oh My Allergy story? Like, how did you get into the world of allergies? Yeah. So I'm an ENT and obviously we focus on treatments of the nose and sinus and allergies, a big part of it. But I think what really triggered me into the allergy world is my personal experiences, which oftentimes is what drives people to get passionate about something. So when I was a freshman in college, I met a wonderful woman who is now my wife and we became dating pretty seriously, (laughs) but she had a cat and I had a terrible cat allergy, like throat closing, eye swelling, EpiPen kind of cat allergy. And so at first we just avoided her house and we avoided the cats. But one night, fast forward a couple of years, I just happened to use a blanket that one of her cats had been sitting on. And within 15 minutes, my throat started closing. My eyes started swelling up. I started looking like a monster from a horror movie. So we ended up having to drive to Massachusetts Eye and Ear and go to ER and getting epi. And it was just, I think at that point, I realized like avoidance just wasn't going to work for me. I'd sort of had had it in my mind that "Ah, I don't feel like doing the therapy, even though I was giving it to my patients. I just didn't want to do it because time and energy. Right. But during my training, I'd learned about allergy drops. And so I realized, you know what? I can do this. This is at home. So I treated myself with allergy drops. And what was really cool is just like every patient, initially I was frustrated. I was like, is this working? Is this going to do anything? Even though I, you know, seen it in my own patients work. I think everyone, when it comes to them personally, is always impatient and frustrated. But what was really cool is about seven or eight months into therapy, we went to a friend of mine's house. He's another doctor and he had a cat. And we walked in, I had my Benadryl or my wife had it in her purse and I was ready, but then nothing happened. We just like, I played with the cat, I pet the cat 
and nothing happened. No eye swelling, no throat swelling. It was just a really cool experience for me. So I think that's sort of what made me realize like just these little things can be really frustrating for individual people. And so it made me really passionate about trying to figure out how can I improve these little problems for everyone. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting that you mentioned was the fact that for your cat allergies that you had an EpiPen or, you know, an auto injector and usually epinephrine, you know, that's talked about a lot in terms of food allergies and that a lot of people tend to think that they're only good for, you know, emergencies that are related to food. So like, what are some other allergies that can potentially require you to use, you know, an epi or, you know, an auto injector that's similar? Yeah. So in general, you are correct. Food allergies are almost always what we give people EpiPens for. But for me, since I just had a really bad reaction to cat, we kept one because I didn't want to have my throat closed. Now I have not met too many patients who need that. Uh, Most of the time for cat and dogs, it's bothersome, it's sneezing, it's itchy, but just everyone's different. And what I learned is that my allergy was just really bad. And so I think Ultimately, we will prescribe an EpiPen for anyone who's had a severe reaction to where they are concerned about airway symptoms. Mm. And for me, that was the case. Wow. That's that's so interesting because, you know, like we were just saying, like you just typically think about, you know, those types of allergy treatments for, you know, food or, you know, things like that. So I just think that it's really interesting. And I think other people find it interesting, too, that you know, if your symptoms, you know, could be, you know, bad where it is, you know, impacting your breathing and like your throat and your airways and things like that, that that could possibly be something that people could look into seeing if that's like a good option for them. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about allergies is everyone is different, Mm -hmm. right? I think most people are going to experience their allergies of sneezing, watery eyes, runny nose, the classic allergy symptoms. But the severity varies so much from patient to patient. I've seen patients who say, you know, I have some allergies in the spring. It's not a big deal. And then I've seen patients who it's debilitating for. And so one of the most important things I think about finding an allergist or finding a physician to work with is making sure they understand you and that they treat your personal allergies and not just, you know, give everyone the same one size fits all treatment. Right. And I know like when you said how like people's symptoms are like totally different. I know for me, like my environmental allergies, they can hit me like really, really bad, especially like in the height of like the spring and even in the fall with like, you know, the seasons changing, like it's, it's really bad. Like I remember one time I was walking somewhere, I was walking like right through like this little forest that had like a bunch of trees and it was just really, really bad in terms of my symptoms and like my, my, my voice went like several octaves lower and like my throat felt like it was closing and my eyes were like itchy. It was so bad that I ended up having to wear, you know, a face mask before, you know, the whole world of COVID, you know? And so definitely it's interesting hearing different people's stories and journeys with their allergies, because like you said, you know, for allergies, it's not really a one size fits all because some person might be able to get through, you know, their spring allergies and not have it affect them too much. And then somebody else, it could be like really bothersome for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's definitely something that I've noticed. And one of the things that's interesting about allergies, Valencia, is this idea that it's sort of an allergic threshold, right? So let's say you're exposed to a little bit of pollen and you have an allergy to it. A little bit may not trigger symptoms. The immune system is really good 
at managing mild exposures, but it's these multiple exposures when things add together that lead to an issue. So if you have a pollen allergy and there's a little bit of pollen, you might have some mild symptoms. But then if you have a dog allergy and you add in an exposure to a dog or you add an exposure to another tree that you're allergic to, your body hits this threshold of just not being able to accommodate. Mm. And that's when you start having really bad symptoms. Wow. It's just so interesting how the body works, especially your immune system and how your body works it in order to protect you from things that it may view as being harmful when it might not be the case all the time. But I know one thing that like you mentioned, you are an ENT and you are an allergist. What are like the differences between like an allergist and an ENT doctor? And like, how do you know like when you should contact one or the other? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So as an ENT, we focus on diseases of the ear, nose, and throat, which obviously includes the nose. We do a lot of sinus surgery, and we'll also do surgery for allergies. But many ENTs will also focus on allergies in the nose because we realized if we do sinus surgery on you, but we don't fix the root cause, you're just going to come back and be frustrated. Mm. So in our training, we focus a lot on environmental allergies. So for environmental allergies like pollen, grass, dust mite, pets, those types of things, ENTs can do a lot of that. And then allergists will also then focus on other things like asthma, and they'll sometimes focus on food allergies, which ENTs tend to do, but not as frequently. Mm. And so ultimately, I think both of them are going to be able to treat you. You just need to find a physician that you connect with. And that's, I think, the most important thing is finding someone who's your speed. Because sometimes you can go to an ENT or you can go to an allergist, but if you don't connect with them, if they don't feel like they're going to resonate with your story, you're just not going to get the care you need. Yeah. And that's something that I have come across is trying to figure out like the difference between the two because I've gone to both. But it's very interesting, you know, learning, especially from a person who is an ENT doctor and an allergist himself, what those differences are and the importance of, like you've said previously, is the importance of making sure you're finding someone that can provide the treatment that you need individually and individually like special treatment. And so I think that that's really important, especially for allergists. But one thing that some people may not realize is like how connected your body is, especially like when it comes to allergies. So could you like explain like how your ear, your nose and your throat can impact your allergies and just like your overall health in general? Yeah. So the reason why we do ear, nose and throat is they're all connected and they're all actually connected in the back of your throat. So your nose goes to the back of your throat and connects to the back of your throat. Your mouth obviously does. And then your ears actually connect to your nose via a tube called the eustachian tube. And so anything that irritates your nose or your throat or your ears, it's all connected. One of the ways in which allergies irritate all these is when you have allergies, the allergens get into your nose, they cause irritation and swelling. This can swell up both the nose to make your nose stuffy, but it can swell up that tiny eustachian tube that connects the ears to the nose and your ears will feel full and like you're on an airplane and they'll feel pressure. And so a lot of times patients come into me for ear pain but we realize it's actually their allergies that we need to treat. Wow. And same thing. Sometimes the patients will come into me for throat pain. They'll say, hey, I keep having throat clearing, but it's actually that their allergies are causing post-nasal drip and that's irritating their vocal cords. So all these things are connected. I think one of the things that ENTs love to focus on is making sure the entire anatomy is addressed. So sometimes that involves surgery. Sometimes that involves immunotherapy. Sometimes that just involves nasal sprays. And so we really like to focus on that area and hopefully help all of it. Yeah, it's definitely interesting all of the variety of allergy treatments that are out there to be able to help with a variety of allergy symptoms. Um, I know like when it comes to allergies, a popular one, especially for allergic rhinitis and like hay fever and seasonal allergies is antihistamines. And I've talked about that 
previous times on the podcast before, but I'd love to hear your opinion on antihistamines and the pros and cons of using them to help with alleviating allergy symptoms and if they, you know, actually help in the long run. Yeah, so I think it really depends on how severe your allergies are. Antihistamines are a great medication if you have allergies once in a while. So if you're someone who for a week or two in spring gets a little bit of a runny nose and you just want to take a quick medication every once in a while to improve that, I think they're great. And within the antihistamines, I really recommend people do things like Claritin or Zyrtec or Allegra, these second generation antihistamines. These are the ones that are going to make you less drowsy. Mm. But antihistamines are not a solution. I mean, the way that we treat allergies in the United States, just it almost doesn't make sense. Using an antihistamine to fix your allergies is sort of like using a pain med to fix a broken bone. It'll, it'll, it'll fix the symptoms, but it's not actually fixing the root cause. Mm. And so that's why a lot of allergists and ENTs focus on what's called immunotherapy, which is a way of actually improving your allergies long-term by retraining your immune system to stop responding to them. So the pros of antihistamines are they work right away and they're easy to use and they're totally available and they're cheap. Some of the cons are that they're A, not fixing your symptoms, so they're only going to work for about six hours until they get out of your system. And then there are some more developing concerns recently about long-term use of antihistamines. They block neurotransmitters, and so there was a study that had them associated with an increased risk of dementia. Now, certainly, there's a lot of debate around that, and they've been used for a long time. But the way I think about it is from a personal level, I would rather fix the root cause using immunotherapy than just keep using antihistamines every day to sort of mask the symptoms. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's definitely interesting because like you said, you know, Americans in particular are so trained into, you know, oh, you have allergies, you have allergy symptom, go get, you know, this antihistamine or go get this medication or go get that medication that's an antihistamine. And, you know, not really taking a step back and kind of looking at all the different variety of allergy treatments that are out there and kind of being like, okay, well, I don't just have my allergies, you know, once in a while, you know, I deal with, you know, my seasonal allergies, you know, like every season, you know, it's kind of like an everyday type of thing. So like, what should I do about that? And are antihistamines, you know, should I keep taking them or, you know, that type of thing. So I think that that's very interesting, um, you know, your opinion on them and, you know, the research that you were talking about, just because you just tend to think of antihistamines. It's like antihistamines, allergies, you know, they're kind of like go together. Yeah. And I think there's been a really a great marketing campaign run by sort of all of us as physicians and pharmaceutical companies for years about antihistamines. But I think as we all learn more about what the potential side effects are of antihistamines, and just as we all learn about the easy access we can now have to immunotherapy, I think it's going to be like braces, right? It used to be you had crooked teeth, you just dealt with it. But now I think when you're young, or even if you're older, if you have allergies, most people are going to say, just like braces, you do it for a little bit and it fixes it lifetime. I think people are going to start thinking about different methods of immunotherapy to sort of fix their long-term you know, allergies. Yeah, I think that, like you said, is more and more, especially there's so much allergy research that is coming out, you know, at a lot more of a faster pace in terms of trying to find, you know, so many different treatments that can help, you know, allergy sufferers be able to combat their symptoms a lot more. So I have seen so many different research articles and things of people like trying to find like the new latest thing, you know, I've seen just so many things from, you know, the immunotherapy, from, um, what is this other one? 
I know specifically for food, there's the tolerance induction program. Like there's just so many different programs and uh, treatments out there that a lot of people are using and just trying to make sure that they're finding something that works for them because of that not one size fits all for allergies. But I know as a person who has, you know, like seasonal allergies and also food allergies, you know, I've been able to learn so many, you know, important lessons when it comes to, you know, knowing exactly what I'm putting in my body and what I'm exposing my body to. So what would you say are some lessons that you've learned from, you know, personally having and managing allergies? Yeah. And could you give me a little, just to make sure I answer this properly, what, are you talking about food allergies? Are you talking about allergies in general? What sort of do you want me to focus on? Um, I would say just allergies in general. I was just saying as an example, like for me, like I know, like for food, like I've learned, like, you know, it's important to read like food labels when I'm talking about my food allergies. And then when it comes to like my seasonal allergies, like I am more careful of looking at pollen counts and making sure that I am, you know, maybe taking, you know, certain supplements to be able to help with my immune system, you know, those types of things. So like, what would you say are some lessons in general about allergies in general that you've learned? Yeah, I think those are all great things. Some of the things that we tell all of our patients is, you want to try to, A, first figure out what your allergies are. So I think it's important to get tested or at least keep a really good diary, especially for foods, on what might be your triggers. Because the first step is to discover what are you allergic to. Once you've kind of figured out what is triggering you, then I totally agree. You want to do things like avoidance, right? Can you, if you, if it's peanuts, like you just really have to be thoughtful about making sure you're reading the labels, making sure you're eating foods that aren't, you know, potentially infiltrated with peanuts or contaminated with peanuts, and then making sure when you eat at restaurants, you're really thinking about this because that's a really important thing. For environmental allergies, it can be a little bit tougher because they're in the air, they're everywhere. Right. But I agree with you. I think it's really great with for people with bad pollen allergies, you probably don't want to go out on a really windy day, right? right. You want to make sure your windows are closed. You want to make sure maybe you're using air conditioning. Now for people with indoor allergies like dust mites, Things like getting rid of your carpets and using wood floors are really meaningful. It's definitely worth trying some of the bed covers and the pillow covers and things like that. Sunlight tends to be really good for dust mites. And then for pets, you have to always make that life decision of, do I want the pet or not? And if you can avoid it, it's great. Now for people like me, you know, with a cat allergy, I did everything I could to avoid it, but at some point I knew I was going to get exposed and I probably should have just thought about therapy sooner. But again, it really depends on your life and how severe your allergies are. Now, speaking of seasonal allergies, you know, what other advice do you have for people who have seasonal allergies and they don't know where to start in terms of being able to find out what their actual allergy is and being able to limit their allergy symptoms as much as possible once they figure out what their trigger is? Yeah. And so that's something I'm really passionate about. For me, you know, Obviously, I kind of knew I had a cat allergy because I would go around them and have start having symptoms, and every time I saw one, it sort of got worse and worse. But getting tested was a really important thing for me. And so there's different types of allergy testing, and I think it's really important to try to understand what they are. There's the traditional testing, which is skin prick testing, which is great. And that's where they basically inject your skin with different allergies, and they see how your skin reacts. But that doesn't work for everyone. You know, I didn't really want to get stuck a bunch of times. I was a little nervous. And so there are blood tests which are just as good. And even within the blood test nowadays, there's different ways of doing it. So you can go to a local Quest Labs or LabCorp. These are national lab testing areas and get your blood drawn and get your allergy testing. And then nowadays, they're actually at-home dried blood spot tests. And so, you know, my online allergy clinic, I think I told you, uh, Valencia, I have a company called Winley that we, it's a, basically, it's a telemedical online allergy clinic. 
And what we let patients do is they can actually purchase a home test kit. They can finger prick, drop a little blood under a card, and then they can get their allergies tested directly from home. And so the most important thing is to figure out what makes sense for you in your life. If you have a physician that you're you know, comfortable with and you want to get skin prick testing, that's great. If you're a little bit worried about, you know, doing that, you can also go to a local lab and get your blood drawn. And if you just want the convenience, there's actually even home tests now. And so I think the first step is always to try to figure out what you might be allergic to. And once you do, then it's really important to try to act on that information. And you can work with a doctor to kind of get a personalized plan for you. So speaking of Windley, uh, your company, Windley Health, could you like walk us through, you know, the journey of like the challenges you had with, you know, discovering your allergies, uh, becoming an ENT and allergist and how that led to you forming, you know, your business, Windley Health? Yeah. And so I've always had two big allergies that have bothered me. The cat allergy, which I was able to treat with allergy drops. And then the other allergy I have, which there's unfortunately just not a great treatment, is what we call like idiopathic urticaria. And idiopathic is just a doctor word for we don't know what causes it. But I get these hives that just show up almost every day if I don't take Zyrtec. They used to be triggered by working out and sweating and then like a warm shower. But now it seems to be the trigger has just changed to almost anything. Wow. And so for me, allergies have always been frustrating. And that's part of why I focus my clinical practice on it. And what was cool was as a doctor, even though I couldn't, you know, fix my own idiopathic urticaria or my hives, it was really cool to be able to fix other people's allergies because at least in some way I was fixing a problem that I could fix for myself. And so I always focused on allergies, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, we had this shelter in place order. And so we couldn't do our allergy shots and we had to switch everyone over to allergy drops because we just didn't want them to come in the office. And what we found is we were getting the same results and patients were doing really well. And so we started treating patients via telemedicine for allergy drops. And then as that kind of continued, we realized, you know, we could do this everywhere. Like we were only doing it in Colorado, but it didn't have to be limited to Colorado if we were doing telemedicine. You just had to be licensed in the States. So we created an online allergy clinic. And part of the reason is because when you look at the numbers, there's 50 million allergy sufferers in the United States. There's a ton, but there's only 6,000 allergists. And most of them are concentrated in big metro areas. So a lot of patients have to wait a long time to see a specialist. And I think as a result of that, a lot of people end up just using antihistamines and they don't really fix their problem. And so we wanted to create this care model where patients could get convenient care from the comfort of their home, where they could just partner with a physician and they could get personalized treatment. And so we focus on either you know, finding a regimen that makes sense for you using antihistamines or Flonase, or we can actually do immunotherapy where we test you and we send you allergy drops to your house and over time, your allergies get better. And so it's been a really cool journey for me to sort of meet patients around the country as opposed to just locally. Wow, that's really amazing, especially like something that was started out of, you know, not being able to see your patients in person because of the pandemic, but being able to have that be turned into a positive by being able to reach, you know, more and more allergy sufferers through telemedicine and being able to uh, help treat people, you know, in so many other different states. And so I know that Wendley uses, like you said, allergy drops. Uh, would you be able to explain what that is and the differences between allergy drops allergy sprays and tablets, and then actual allergy shots. Yeah. And so this is the thing that we spent a lot of time trying to make sure patients understand the differences between these treatments. And actually, Valencia, part of the reason I loved your podcast and why I went to it is I was trying to find ways to explain to patients in simple ways how all this stuff works. So when you have an allergy, your body releases a, medica a chemical called histamine, and histamine causes your symptoms. So antihistamines just blocks that chemical 
But as soon as the antihistamines wear out of your system, your body will start releasing that chemical again if it sees an allergy trigger. And so antihistamines are great short-term symptom relief. But immunotherapy is a method of exposing your body to small doses of exactly what you're allergic to until over time, your body becomes desensitized. It almost works like a vaccine. And so the original method of immunotherapy was actually oral immunotherapy. And then in the 1900s, they started doing allergy shots. The first one was for hay fever. And the idea behind allergy shots was, again, if we can expose you to a little bit of hay, over time, your hay fever goes away. And so this has been the traditional method, and it's the most widespread method in the United States. But in the 80s, there was a couple people who unfortunately had bad reactions to allergy shots. And so a lot of allergists in Europe started looking for a different method of getting that same medication into the body. And so what they came up with is they realized that medications will sometimes absorb through the nose and the mouth in the same way that the allergy triggers, like pollen, absorb into your bloodstream from your nose and your mouth. And so they started what's called allergy drops or sublingual immunotherapy. And sublingual means under the tongue. Mm -hmm. And so between 1980 and 2000, there was a ton of research done. In 2000, the World Health Organization adopted this as another alternative. And it's become really a standard of care in many European countries. Now, it took a little bit of time for it to come to the United States. But in 2014, the US actually, the FDA started approving single allergy tablets. So if you just have a dust mite allergy, there's an FDA approved tablet where you can essentially just take it and it works just like an allergy shot. But for patients who have multiple allergies, we have to compound them and sort of treat your dust mite or your cat all at once. And so that's why we use allergy drops. Now what allergy drops are is they're the exact same medication that we use for injections, but you have to dose them a little bit differently because the route of administration is a little bit differently. So we have to give a much higher dose and you take them every day from home. But the beautiful thing is that there's been a ton of research. The Cochrane Review did a research where they looked at 60 trials, randomized control trials, and we found that both allergy shots and allergy drops have about an 80 to 85% efficacy rate, meaning they both work really well for getting patients better for environmental allergies. Wow. That was a really great explanation because I learned something just now. <laughs> yeah. Because before coming across, you know, you and Windley, you know, I wasn't even too familiar with the whole you know, sublingual immunotherapy allergy drop process. So being able to know that there's so many different treatments out there. And then now, you know, knowing the difference between those and sprays and tablets and actually allergy shots, because allergy shots, you know, that's the typical treatment that you usually tend to hear about, you know, the most. And that's at least for seasonal and for food allergies, you know, that's like what you hear about. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that allergy drops and allergy shots are just sort of like, allergy drops are sort of like the next evolution, right? So a lot of the older allergists, and historically, we used allergy shots because they worked and there's great data. But this next generation of physicians, as we train and we see the newer data and we see our patients getting better with allergy drops, many of us are switching over to offering it. And it's just another way for patients who are busy, who can't go in and get a weekly shot to get that same medication into their body. And so by taking it orally, you're getting it into your body. As long as you're consistent, you can get the same results, which is really cool. And so that's what I ended up doing because, you know, I'm a surgeon. I've got three kids. I wasn't able to go and get a shot every week and, you know, sit there for 30 minutes. Right. And so allergy drops were a great option for me. And I think what's really cool is you're going to see more and more allergists giving patients options. And that's what we're trying to do with our online clinic, which is just give people an option. If, if allergy shots don't make sense for your life, we want to make sure you have this option for allergy drops, which you can do totally from home and get the same results. 
And that's like really cool. Like you said, like some people might be afraid of needles Mm -hmm. or some people might not even just have the time because of having just a busy schedule. Like you said, some people might have kids or have a job and just have so many other different priorities, you know, that having an option that's a little bit more, you know, simpler um, is really just great at being able to have just another approach to allergies and have it where people can find, like you said, that treatment that just works best for them. Um, So who typically would fit the profile as someone who would, you know, be a good candidate for allergy drops or versus allergy shots, you know, as a potential treatment? Yeah. And so in general, it's the same people, but there are a couple of caveats that I want to make sure everyone understands, especially for the listeners. So allergy drops have really good data. I mean, 30 years of data from 1986, and they work really well for things like allergic rhinitis. So environmental allergy symptoms, itchy eyes, sneezing, watery eyes, even a little bit of asthma and maybe eczema, although the studies aren't that great. They don't have as much great data yet for food allergies, which is why I don't do food allergies. And also food allergies are dangerous. So you really want to make sure you do that in a physician's office. The other place where they don't have as great data is for venom. So for bee stings and those kinds of things, I still think allergy shots are the standard of care. But for environmental allergies like pollen, dust mite, dog, cat, mold, it's the same medication and you're going to get the same results. The only other two caveats that you want to think about is there's a rare disease called eosinophilic esophagitis. And this is where people get their throats kind of closing off. And there seems to be this thought that we shouldn't give those patients allergy drops because the concern is, I don't really want to give you something you're allergic to and have it go into your esophagus if you already have irritation of your esophagus from your allergies. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But thankfully, that's pretty rare. So the majority of our patients can switch in between shots and drops just depending on what makes sense for them. And so we have a lot of patients who were doing shots And then they decide to switch to drops because maybe they're moving and their allergist isn't licensed in that new state or they don't Mm. they don't know how to find another allergist in those states or maybe they travel a lot so i think it just depends on what makes sense for you on the flip side there are some patients for whom allergy shots work great for and some of those patients are patients who just aren't going to be consistent right if you're not somebody who's going to remember to take your medication daily maybe it makes sense to go and just have a scheduled visit because then you know that the medication is getting into you. So that's one thing with drops, you just gotta make sure you're somebody who can routinely take them. Now the good news is it's pretty quick, it takes like two seconds, you drop it under your tongue and you leave it there for about a minute. Um, but it's just, again, you gotta figure out what makes sense for you and your schedule. Yeah, that's in- that's interesting that you can just put it in your mouth, something that's oral, because like I said, like usually when you think of allergy treatments, you think of things that usually will typically go up your nose Mm -hmm. um so to be able to have something that is oral that's a a treatment that could really help with your allergies is something that i think um if it's a good fit for that person in their lifestyle um because sometimes you know when it comes to even just the the smallest things like supplements for myself i forget to take them you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah so i mean i know that there's so probably other people who are out there that are like oh well you know like i know i need to take this allergy medication you know but I might take it like every other day or whenever I remember to. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, like why wasn't I proactive? And I didn't take, you know, whatever I needed to take in order to help with my symptoms on the front end. Um, Cause I know for me, like I said before, like my allergies are really bad, like really bad to the point where when I was consulting with my doctor that I usually have to get on the front of it in mm-hmm. order to make sure that, you know, when 
it's in those months where it affects me the most that like I'm already like prepared type of thing. So I think that, you know, being able to talk more about this type of immunotherapy is really just like we have been saying time and time again in this episode, um, just options. I know that there's like one point in time in allergies where there just wasn't that many options in terms of how to be able to Uh, alleviate your symptoms and it sucked you know and now that there's so many more options out there just finding one that works for you but one thing that I recently talked about um, here on the podcast is the relationship between you know sleep and allergies Um, and I talked a little bit about sleep disorders in that episode like sleep apnea especially because I know someone well knew someone that had it um, without them even knowing that they did and so I would love to hear about what you've come across and your practice and in allergy research regarding how allergies can really just exacerbate uh, snoring and uh, sleep apnea. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to think about. And that's, I think the broader issue I love to think about is just how allergies aren't just a single issue. Mm -hmm. They affect your whole life. And that's why as an ENT, we love thinking about how it affects your whole upper airway, right? An allergy can lead to asthma. Allergies can lead to eczema. Allergies can lead to sleep apnea. They can lead to just feeling like you can't perform in your physical activities. And so with sleep apnea, it's really from a thousand foot level, it's just the fact that if allergies are stuffing up your nose and you can't breathe through your nose at night, it leads to trouble sleeping. So now I'm going to zoom in a little bit to give you guys a little bit more detail. So let's talk about sleep apnea. What happens during sleep apnea is for whatever reason, especially if it's obstructive, the air isn't coming into your lungs at night. And if your body doesn't get oxygen, you start to wake up a little bit just to try to make sure that, you know, you get oxygen, right? Your body says, "Uh uh-oh, the oxygen levels are dropping. I need to wake up and move and whatever that's obstruction is, I need to get it. And the problem then is if you're chronically waking up, you never really get a restful night's sleep. Mm. And if you don't get a restful night's sleep, you feel miserable the next day. You can't perform at work. You're edgy. And long-term, you can have really bad outcomes like higher risk of stroke and heart attack. And so as ENTs, we want to do everything we can to optimize your upper airway, your nose and your mouth and your windpipe, and try to make sure you're getting oxygen when you're sleeping. And so one of the reasons we focus on allergies is if you have an allergy to pollen and it gets into your nose, what happens? Well, it swells up your nose. And our nose is an organ that was evolved to help us breathe, and especially at night. Because what we've seen is if your nose is stuffy, then at night you end up breathing through your mouth. But what happens is you start to dry out your tongue, your tongue falls back, it blocks your windpipe and you get less air. And so we've seen a lot of research that shows that there's a high prevalence of sleep apnea and allergies being associated. And so what's really interesting is there's also sort of these hormonal things like interleukin-6 and these different hormones that help regulate your sleep-wake cycle and having allergies also affects them. But just on like a really superficial level, what's been really interesting is there's a great study that was done in 2020 where they looked at basically people with house dust mite allergies and mm-hmm. they looked at their REM sleep disturbances. So REM, R-E-M, is deep sleep. And what we found is in patients who had sleep studies, if you basically had allergies, your risk of having more disturbances with REM was really high. And that makes sense because if your nose is stuffy from dust mite allergies and you end up breathing through your mouth, then you're going to block off your airway more. Right. And if you block off your airway, your body's going to wake up more and you're just not going to get restful sleep. So That has been extrapolated into a bunch of different studies, and it's just been really easy. And so sometimes as ENTs, we'll recommend immunotherapy. Sometimes we'll just go ahead and do surgery. It's really interesting to kind of figure out what makes sense for each patient. 
So how do you identify what patients need surgery? Yeah. And so I think a lot of this comes from history, right? So when your nose is stuffy, the first thing I think about is, is it intermittent or is it constant, Mm. right? So if you'd come to me, Valencia, and you're like, look, my right side of my nose is always blocked. It doesn't matter what I do. There's no seasonality to it. It's just constantly. Well, then it makes sense to have an ENT look in your nose. Maybe you have a deviated septum. Maybe you have a nasal polyp. Maybe you have large turbinates. But if it's a constant issue, then it makes sense to try to fix it using a surgery, essentially, right? Fixing the anatomy. But if it's intermittent, right? If it's, hey, this only happens in the spring or, hey, if it's it's dust mites, it's only happening when I'm inside. Then what we first try to do is medicine because in general, our thought is always, let's do medicine first. And then if the medicine doesn't work, then we can go to surgery. So we'll do immunotherapy. We might do antihistamines. We might do nasal sprays. It really depends. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And definitely, you know, when you think of, you know, having problems, at least in my opinion, with your ear, your nose and your throat, whether that's in relation to allergies or or not, surgery is not one of the first things that comes to mind. Um, But it makes sense, though, especially like you said, if you're having prolonged, you know, symptoms in terms of nothing seems to get better. And it's something that you deal with every single day. And it's not just something that just happens every once in a while or seasonally, like you just said. Exactly. Yeah. And again, remember, surgery is always our last resort. You know, as I said, I think with all therapies, you want to start small, right? Right. The easiest thing to do if you think you have mild allergies is just a saltwater rinse, maybe a mist, wash it out. Then if it's every once in a while, you could take an antihistamine. I know there's some concerns about the increased risk of dementia, but I don't think you're going to get that from using it once in a while every year. But once you start getting into allergies like you and I have, where it's just severe and it's bothersome, then immunotherapy is sort of the next option. And within that, you want to decide, you know, am I someone who needs to do this with a doctor? Then shots are great. Am I someone who wants to do this from home? Then drops are great. And if immunotherapy doesn't work, then we start thinking, okay, should we think about fixing your anatomy? And so it's sort of like a ladder in terms of how intense is each treatment option. Um, And the, the goal is to just try to make sure you do what's right for the patient. So how does one go about being able to find an either an ENT doctor or, you know, an allergist that's local to them? Like, what would you say should be the things that they're thinking about when they're trying to find, you know, one in their area? And, you know, what are some things that they should either bring to either of those types of doctors in terms of, I guess, explaining what they're dealing with, you know, ENT doctors and allergists like yourself, be able to explain these complex topics and be able to have it where it's easier for people to understand and for people to not feel like allergies are, you know, scary. They can be scary, but as long as you know the right information, they can be a little bit less daunting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. So the first thing you always want to do is figure out, is kind of like know yourself. One thing that really helps working with a specialist is to kind of spend a week or a couple of days just writing down in your own diary or journal, what is bothering me, right? Because the things we want to know is, you know, what symptoms do you have? Is it itchy eyes? Is it mm-hmm. watery nose? Is it is it that your nose is always congested on the right? We also want to know the seasonality, right? Is it only spring? Is it summer? Is it all year round, right? If it's all year round, I'm thinking about indoor things like dust mites or pets or mold. And then once you figure out yourself, then it's important to figure out, you know, with your health insurance, what makes sense. One of the things that makes me excited about Winley is the fact that, you know, you can get an ENT on the phone or on a Zoom call pretty quickly. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do is make it so that you can really easily get an allergist 
you know, visit within a couple days, hopefully. And you can see us totally online, regardless of where you are, because some of the areas like rural areas may not have a specialist. And we have patients who drive, like I'm in Colorado. We have patients who drive down from Vail, like two, three hours to see me. And now they're patients who can see us directly online. And I think that's something that you're going to see more and more of is physicians want to give people better access and we want it to be easy. And we don't want you to have to wait in an office and, you know, read some old 1990s time magazine and, <laughs> and sit there and wait to be called in. We want to make it so that you can get your treatment in a way that's really convenient. That's what we're doing with Winley. And I think if you're looking for a local allergist, you just want to make sure it's somebody who has good reviews, who maybe you have had a friend who's talked to them and had, you know, has had a good experience. I think that's the easiest way to find them. Yeah, and that's one thing that you see more and more of in reference to Wendley telehealth and having where there's options to be able to either, like you said, get on the phone with a medical professional or, you know, getting on a video call with a medical professional. So I think that between looking into telehealth options, if those better fit your lifestyle or being able to like talk with people that you know um, to see whether or not they have an ENT doctor or an allergist in mind for you to check out in your local area. So I think that those are also really great resources. My next question is, you know, is it common for an ENT doctor to be also an allergist? Or are there some cases where one person is just like just an ENT doctor? And then if you want to talk specifically about whether that's like food allergies or other different allergies, like or other different immunology type things like asthma, would you see a dedicated allergist. Yeah. And so I think, I think one thing that's really interesting is in healthcare, there's just a lot of overlap, right? Every like GI doctors and general surgeons will sometimes both treat the belly, right? Mm -hmm. There are lung doctors, there are cardiothoracic surgeons, there are cardiologists, they all treat the heart. And I think what ends up happening is physicians will find what they're interested in and they'll focus their practice on it. So in general, most ENTs now for the past 15, 20 years are going to get really good training in allergies and they're going to focus on allergies, but there are some ENTs who will super specialize and you may want to look out for that, right? So there's some ENTs who call themselves just an otologist and they only do ears. There's some ENTs that only call themselves like a laryngologist and Mm -hmm. they only do throat. But in general, most ENTs are going to be really good for environmental allergies like, you know, pollen, cats, dogs, dust mites. And then some of them are also going to branch out into asthma and allergy. Allergists are going to be really good for the medicine part of allergy, right? Because they don't do surgery, but they'll do really good for allergy shots. And they'll oftentimes do environmental allergies and food and asthma and eczema. And so it really depends on sort of what your issue is. But I think ultimately working with your primary care doctor or going directly to any of those allergists, if you have environmental allergists, is a really great start. Okay. So I want to play this little game with you. I'm calling it setting the allergy record straight. So I know that there are (laughs) just so many different contradicting stories about allergies. So I'm going to read off, you know, some assumptions and statements that are commonly mentioned in the allergy community and wanted to know if you view them as being, you know, true or false. Sounds awesome. All right, let's do it. Okay, so the first statement is local honey reduces seasonal allergies. So this is one that is a huge controversy, and I want to explain to you why, at least from a scientific perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So I think there's no problem with taking local honey as long as you know, you're not worried about botulism and it's not being given to a kid who's under one. But one of the issues is that environmental allergies, like the ones that cause sneezing and runny eyes, they tend to be from pollen that is really light 
and it's getting in the air, right? So you're breathing the stuff in. Whereas bees tend to work with pollen that is heavy. That's why the bees are there, right? So flowers have heavy pollen and they need bees to take that pollen and get it caught on the bee's fur and move it from one plant to another. But that type of pollen from flowers is not usually what causes patients' symptoms. It's hmm. the pollen from things like trees and grasses that just goes right up in the air. And the bees aren't really interacting with it. Now, of course, I'm sure some of that pollen is going to get onto the bees and maybe some of it's going to get in the honey. But when you're taking local honey, the majority of the pollen that you're getting is from plants and flowers, and those are not causing your allergies. And so that's why there's no problem with taking local honey, but it doesn't seem to work as effectively as immunotherapy because it's just not giving you a high enough dose of that pollen. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I learned something new. Typically, like when you think of allergies and pollen allergies in specific in terms of, you know, like bees and flowers, you think that it's coming from the flowers because, you know, bees are going to the flowers. So you would just assume, yeah. you know, that's where it's coming from. So I think it's interesting that you know, I've heard a mixed response on this topic as well, which is why I wanted to see what you thought about it. Um, I've heard that, especially like from like family, they're like, oh yeah, like you should eat the local honey, you know, that'll help you with your allergies and stuff. Um, so it's just definitely interesting just hearing different people's perspective and then also looking at research too, um, because definitely it says some things in terms of, you know, it not, you know, really helping that much. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. And I think, again, the, the reason most of the research hasn't been able to find it is the majority of patients are suffering from allergies to things like trees or grasses or weeds, right? So ragweed or mm -hmm. oak trees or mm -hmm. timothy grass. And those grasses have pollens that are really lightweight and they get in the air. And that's why on a windy day that pollen gets into your house and you breathe it for the next couple of weeks and you have allergies. There are probably some patients who do have an allergy to just a couple of local plants or flowers, and then maybe then local honey might give it a high enough dose where over time it will cause that sort of immunotherapy-like exposure. But in general, we tend to see patients have allergies to things like ragweed, and that's just not in high concentrations in local honey. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Uh, my next uh, statement is moving to a different climate can help with alleviating allergies. Yeah, so that had so that had been shown. There was actually a ton of studies back in the day that talked about how if you moved allergy patients up to the mountains, that there wouldn't be allergies. Right? There used to be all these studies that there's no dust mites in Colorado because the atmosphere, you know, the altitude is high and the air is dry and there's less humidity and there's none. Unfortunately, those studies are from the 70s and 80s, and while they were probably accurate then, there's been a lot of studies that have sort of contradicted them. And the other confounding factor is the world's temperature has been increasing. And so in the same ways there are now mosquitoes in Colorado and the mosquitoes in mountain towns that there didn't used to have, um, the allergies are actually happening. And in fact, one of the things that's really interesting is that as temperatures warm, it's really changing allergies. So going from one climate to another can definitely change your allergies, which is good, right? So if you're someone who has East Coast allergies and you move to the West Coast, you might not have allergies, but it's also possible that you start getting new allergies. And that's one of the problems is that we tend to think people's immune systems are either overreactive or underreactive. And people with overreactive immune systems, they tend to find stuff to be allergic to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I know when I lived in California for some years, I realized that 
I didn't really have to deal with that many symptoms when I was in California versus being in Georgia, which I thought was very interesting. But that was like years ago and the world has changed, like you said, in terms of, you know, like the world's getting hotter and, you know, that type of thing. And a lot of, you know, different environmental factors are being impacted because of that. So I just think that it's really interesting how climate can play a role in, you know, allergies and it can affect it at times. Yeah. So uh, the next statement is the only way to treat allergies is to avoid the allergens. Well, so, you know, I'm going to have a, a personal problem with that because I, I swear I tried everything I could to avoid the allergen and it found me. I mean, the blanket <laughs> that I used, the cat had been on maybe a month ago, but cat dander is very sticky. So Avoiding allergens makes a ton of sense if you have a single allergy trigger, right? If it's cats or dogs or mice or horse or whatever, you can definitely avoid it. But it's really hard for most allergies. So that's why I think it's worth considering immunotherapy or at least using over-the-counter antihistamines because it's really hard to avoid things like dust mites. Yes. It's really hard to avoid things like pollen. And in fact, there was a great study in the New England Journal of Medicine where somebody went through and did all these things like, you know, they use the covers for dust mites to see, is it going to change how much dust mite I have in my bed? And it shows that those covers do work. But the problem is for most people with bad allergies, it brings it down, but not enough to stop their symptoms. And so it's really hard because I think patients get all this conflicting information like, oh man, I guess I have to start washing my sheets every week and I need to buy these expensive bed covers and I need to buy an air filter. And then they still have symptoms and they feel like maybe they're doing something wrong. But I think one of the things as physicians we need to educate patients on is it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's just, it's really hard to get this stuff out of the environment. And that's why a lot of us push for treatment. Yeah, it's... that's one thing that I've heard so many people like, especially people who don't have allergies, they're like, Oh, we'll just avoid them. It's, it's not, it's not that simple as you just heard. It's not possible. It's not, it's not that simple, especially when it's a little bit more complex, like it's circulating in the air and eventually you're going to have to go outside. So (laughs) you can't just avoid the, the air outside. It's just not that simple. Sadly, in some cases, So the last statement is regular use of allergy medicine will create a tolerance. This is also a super controversial topic. So, you know, the clinical data suggests that that doesn't make sense. It suggests that in general, antihistamines should continue to work and that maybe you will get tolerant in the sense that you get less drowsy, but the effect should be the same. But One thing that's really interesting as a doctor is you have to listen to your patients. And so, yes, there's all these studies that I'm reading that tell me that you shouldn't become tolerant to antihistamines. But I also know that so many of my patients tell me every day, like, hey, Claritin has stopped working for me. There was a great survey where they looked through allergies in America and they found that 40% of patients felt like they had to keep switching different antihistamines because they stopped working. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of theories on why this is happening. Some people's theory is that it's just your allergies are getting worse or they're changing because as you get older, your immune system changes and gets worse. And then some people think that, you know what, it's totally possible that you are getting tolerant. I'll be honest, I'm not a, I'm not a pharmacist, so I'm not sure. What I do know is I trust my patients. And I know that when patients come to me and say, hey, this Claritin stops isn't working for me, it doesn't make sense to tell somebody to keep using it. The most important thing is to listen and figure out, okay, let's find another treatment that makes sense for you. Now, this is something because my dog, I have a dog, and she has 
you know, allergies on her own. So I have to manage mine and hers. And so she had been getting allergy treatments and allergy shots for her allergies and they were working. You know, then there was a time where it just stopped and like she was dealing with symptoms still and her symptoms are kind of bad you know the draining of the eyes and she gets really itchy and she looks her paws a lot and it's just it's just bad especially because she loves rolling in the grass so it's like a really big problem (laughs) um and so talking with her doctor and trying to figure out okay like why like why is it not working for her and like in the case with her doctor you know uh we had to figure out and have that conversation of okay like if this is not working then what else could we use so that kind of goes back to you saying like listening to your patients as a doctor and be like okay well they're saying obviously they're still dealing with symptoms you know okay let's try to find something else that could possibly you know help with alleviating your symptoms yeah and i think i think that's one of the problems that sometimes can happen in the healthcare system and it's really important to find a good doctor is just listening, right? A lot of times patients are like, hey, this isn't working for me. And the key then is to say, okay, let's figure something else out. But sometimes mm-hmm. we get into this mindset, I think in healthcare, we're like, well, this is the pill that we were taught that works with this disease and we just need to keep sticking with it. But if you do that and it doesn't work, then you're not helping anyone. And so I think as you get older in your medical practice, you start really trying to be like, okay, well, what makes sense for you? Because you realize every patient's genetics and their life and their symptoms are totally different. I think one of the challenges for your dog though, is it's really, we can't, we can't talk to the dog. Right. <laughs> we don't know, but it sounds like you got to like really pay attention to the dog's symptoms. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely been a task in terms of, okay, like, look at me. Okay. I need to make sure your face is okay. Like, are you itching? I see you scratching in the corner. Okay. Like what's going on? Like asking the doctor, like yeah. what are symptoms? And yeah, that's the tough part about animals. And like, people don't even think that animals can be allergic to things too. So that's like a totally another topic. <laughs> Well, when you think about it, how ridiculous is it that your dog has an allergy to grass, right? Like dogs evolved to roam around in the grass, but your dog has an allergy to it. And sometimes I think about this, I'm like, man, it's so ridiculous that like I have patients who are allergic to trees, right? Like humans most likely evolved from apes and we probably came from trees. And so the fact that we are responding to trees and thinking, the fact that our immune system thinks a tree is like an invader is really a crazy thing. And I think this is something you'd mentioned actually in I think one of your last pod- podcasts where you're talking about the hygiene hypothesis, there's this thought that some of this has to do with our Western way of mm-hmm. living, this idea that we're not being exposed to nature. And so I just love this idea that like, you know, maybe there's a way that you can go back and retrain your immune system to say, hey, look, nature isn't something to be scared of. And that's sort of this concept behind immunotherapy. It's this idea of, you know, like with allergy drops, for example, you're just giving someone a little bit of nature every day until their immune system learns like, hey, we shouldn't be scared of it. Because the fact that your dog is scared of grass is just a silly thing when you think about it from like a global perspective. Yeah, no, it's crazy because it's like the, you know, the trees and, you know, things like that, like things that are in out, in the outdoors, you know, you're taught to embrace them. And they're like, they're like your friend yeah. and like trees are supposed to provide oxygen. And it's like, okay, well, like, why am I allergic to them? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely, yeah. it's definitely interesting. Um, But my last question for you is for those who are, you know, new to the whole world of, you know, allergies, you know, seasonal allergies, you know, like what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think for everyone, the first time I talk to them, if they've just had an initial allergy experience, you want to really think about, you know, how severe is my symptoms? You know, for me with cats, it was really severe. So I was like, I should just skip ahead to the step of getting immunotherapy. For people who it's mild, I think there's always a couple things you can do first on your own that are really great. 
the first thing I'm a huge fan of is like a saline mist um, mm-hmm. or taking a really hot shower and breathing in the steam. I don't love the neti pots or the water because it, for me, it kind of freaks me out to have that much water grunt my yeah. nose. So I really like mist where you can kind of just like breathe in some steam. All you're doing there is washing the pollen out of your nose because as long as the nose stay, the pollen stays in your nose, it's going to absorb across and irritate your, your immune system. Mm-hmm. And so I really, really am a big fan of just like, it's really just like taking a, taking a bath for your nose, just cleaning it out. And then I think after that, it's it's worth trying a couple things on your own, like taking a Claritin or taking a Zyrtec. These are totally safe meds to take once in a while and see if it helps you. It also helps you determine like, hey, am I an allergy patient? Because if these things don't work, you have to think about maybe, you know, you have something like non-allergic rhinitis or maybe there's other things going on, but it's really nice to be able to do a little bit of testing on your own. And then I think with all the available access people should have nowadays, right? We, we're trying to give people online access. There should be a doctor hopefully close to you. It's great to just go talk to an allergist because that that initial discussion sometimes, even if you don't get treatment, can really help you understand, you know, what what's going to make sense for your life. Yeah, I know for me, I've tried the whole the whole neti pot situation. I always feel like I'm drowning. So I just I just <laughs> yes. don't do it. <laughs> it's torture. Yeah, I, I'm like not a big fan of it. Yeah. yeah, saline mist is the way to go, in my opinion, for sure, because I just feel like I feel like when I'm doing the neti pot, like I have a snorkel on my face, but like I have it on wrong. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't breathe. Oh, my gosh. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also kind of get grossed out. I'm like, oh, what is in that water? But the mist is nice. It just loosens everything up. And I tell people, like, if you don't want to do a mist, just take a really hot shower. You kind of fog up the bathroom and breathe that stuff out. And then you can kind of breathe it out into to the air in the shower. And that's another way of cleaning it out. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. Uh, so where can people find more about the work you do and more about Windley Health? Yeah, so you can find us at windley.com. That's spelled W-Y-N-D-L-Y.com. And, you know, that's kind of a hard thing to Google, but we chose the name Windley because I'm an ENT and my focus is on helping you breathe, right? We want to help the wind come in. And we, this is kind of cheesy, but we decided to put a Y in instead of an I because, I don't know, I was just thinking about how healthcare you know, when you go to a hospital right now, it feels like the whole system is built around them, right? You sit in a waiting room until the doctor gets to see you. And then you have to wait another room until the doctor comes in. And I just really wanted to build a healthcare clinic that was sort of surrounded around the patient, around you. Mm. And so we spelled it W-Y-N-D-L-Y. Um, certainly my friends, you know, make fun of me for that. But ultimately, Windley is our name and that's what we're going with. And and we'd love to have anyone who's interested in getting allergy tested or treatment um, online via telemedicine and come and work with us. Um, Look, we're super passionate about this and hopefully we can help some patients who, who otherwise, you know, weren't getting treatment. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I definitely enjoyed our conversation and learned some really cool information about allergies, specifically seasonal allergies, and learning more about immunotherapy, which is something that I was familiar with, but I learned so much more from this episode. And hopefully other people will learn so much more about not only that, but other allergy treatments that are out there as well. Cool. Valencia, I really appreciate the work you're doing. I think I honestly recommend your podcast to my patients just because, you know, you've done such a good job of communicating these really complicated ideas to people in a really interesting way. Um, And I think it's awesome. Like that episode on hygiene hypothesis, you took this really complicated scientific topic and made it understandable so that anyone, I had my wife listen to it. She was like, oh yeah, I get it. And I just think that's really cool. That's a skill that I think a lot of physicians would, um, 
would benefit to get. And I hope I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you to kind of keep learning myself. Well, thank you so much for that compliment. It means the world. And that's definitely why I do these types of episodes for people to be able to not have, you know, healthcare and allergies seem as daunting as it can sound with so many different big words and so many different academic journals and research papers and things like that. So hopefully, you know, with this podcast and then also with ENT doctors and allergists like yourself, uh, be able to explain these complex topics and be able to have it where it's easier for people to understand and for people to not feel like allergies are, you know, scary. They can be scary, but as long as you know the right information, they can be a little bit less daunting. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Munnin. Dr. Munnin Shah for coming on today's episode and having a really great conversation about all things ENT and allergies. If you want to check out Wendley Health, make sure that you check out the show notes, but the website is Wendley, W-Y-N-D-L-Y.com to check out his business and to see if telehealth is a great option for you. Also, if you want to keep up with the things that Dr. Munnin Shaw is doing, make sure you check out his website, which is MunninMD.com. These links will also all be listed in our show notes. But I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, a great episode about all things ENT, environmental allergies, how sleep affects your allergies, just pretty much how allergies can affect so many different aspects of your life without even realizing it. If you love this content and you want to hear more, make sure that you are subscribed to the Oh My Allergies podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Oh My Allergies. My Instagram is at Oh My Valencia. Make sure that you leave a rating and review. Hopefully it is five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and other platforms like that. Keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. <laughs>